Our reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. All right, y'all have a seat this morning. I'm super excited about the gospel this morning. I hope that uh, in some way uh, that comes out this morning. Because though the building is gloomy, the gospel and the word of God is bright this morning. We're talking this morning about neighborly love. That's what we're going to be on about this morning. So you're going to hear a lot of the word neighbor. You're going to hear a lot of the word love. But I don't want you to get lost in it this morning. Uh, One of the reasons why we can get lost is because neighborly love is difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult for all, but not as difficult for some. Some have huge hearts, huge capacity for love. I think of uh, my daughter, Ryan. My daughter, Ryan, has a big capacity for love of neighbors. She gives big hugs, even from the time that she was very little, very tiny. We called her Little. That was her nickname when she was born. And as soon as she could give all of her relatives hugs, they were big hugs around the neck. Uh, She has big smiles and big love to share with others, and she enjoys sharing that love. Some of us uh, find that difficult. Uh, We don't share it. Uh, She shares that love with everybody, even strangers. I'm just uh, challenged all the time by the ways that she loves and loves big. I recall this, and my wife will, uh, and I will always remember this, that when she was about three years old, and probably only just three, she was communicating a little bit, she was beginning to notice things outside of the car, and we pulled up to a light, and there was a man there with a sign, and she didn't have the capacity to know what was going on, and so, like all little kids, uh, asked the question, uh, Mom, what is that man doing there? Why is he holding a sign? And uh, Sawyer explained to her, she had lots of other questions uh, regarding that, that this was a person who was experiencing homelessness and was asking for help. And the truth is, is that that pained her heart very deeply. 
She has this big capacity. And so Ryan practically insisted for the next probably two to three years of her life that at all times we keep a Ziploc bag of, uh, you know, just things that people might need in our car. And in that way that only a little uh, tiny girl can uh, do and get away with without it being extremely uncomfortable, just exuding from her heart all the time, she would always just say, Mom, there's one. And it's like, that feels awkward to say there's one, but the love and compassion that she had for people, has for people who are experiencing hardship is big. She uh, has a bigger capacity just to love neighbors. And and we know in our uh, country, because we uh, see this all the time, when we pull up to lights, when we drive under overpasses, when we hear about what's happening really around the country, we know that there's a crisis happening Uh, That there are every day around 550,000 people in our country who are experiencing homelessness. And uh, that's a huge crisis. And so when we think about loving our neighbor, oftentimes we think about those who are in deep need. And it's really hard not just to show loving compassion, show neighborly love. It's hard to know how to do it, know how to help. Um, I've uh, sat on the board of an organization for the last uh, decade named the, the Net Fort Worth, and we've only recently kind of wound down the, uh, the arm of the institution uh, that uh, loves and serves people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, but during that time, I've learned a lot, and uh, we all have some intuitions about what might help or what might not help. There's a very helpful book, by the way, if you're looking for uh, just resources on the matter called When Helping Hurts that really walks through um, how we can go about helping and loving our neighbors. I highly recommend the book. But here's, here's one of the things that I have a little bit of discomfort with. Um, in our day and age, it makes sense that with uh, as much material blessing and, uh, and, and riches, honestly, that we live amongst uh, in terms of like historical capacity for uh, just wealth and comfort and everything else, to just uh, be able to look at Scripture and see the commands on how to help the poor and feel like there's a disconnect and go like, well, it really commands that we help in these kind of ways in Scripture, but I see that those things can often be used in actually unhelpful ways. It's really, really difficult to know how to help people who are in need, to know how to extend neighborly love. Today, I I will tell you that I think that what people need most is uh, not material blessings or things or money, but they need relationship, they need dignity. Uh, Many of the people who are experiencing homelessness uh, don't need uh, additional monies. Uh, What they really need is medication. What they might need is uh, somebody who's coming along and uh, giving them resources to combat addiction. You see, the homelessness crisis in our country, uh, if I can be so bold, I think is not a homelessness crisis. I really honestly think that there's a mental health crisis that kind of uh, passes for a homelessness crisis. And I think that that mental health crisis is actually downstream from other things that are uh, maybe more significant. I I think that uh, the mental health crisis is actually a, a crisis of the family. Uh, that might surprise you, but think about how many people can really trace uh, the, uh, the, the mental instability that they have or that a loved one has from brokenness in a home. But, but even still, just to see how complex this problem is, that the brokenness in family is really just downstream from a spiritual brokenness. 
So anybody who's really wanting to be simplistic about what problems are and what neighborly love looks like needs to come to terms with the fact that these things are really complex. So this morning, when we uh, talk about a capacity for neighborly love, it's important for all of us to know that uh, though some may have large capacities for neighborly love, all people are commanded to it. All people are commanded to it. That's what we just heard from the Word of God. So one of the questions that I want to go about answering at a really high level this morning is, how can we truly love our neighbors as ourselves? I think that that's the question that's posed by this greatest commandment and its inclusion of loving neighbor as ourselves. How can we truly love our neighbor as ourselves? And here's where we're going to go this morning. In order for you to know how to love your neighbor as yourself, you first must know the power of neighborly love. So where are we going this morning? It's all aimed at one thing. Neighborly love has the power to save the world from sin. That again, neighborly love has the power to save the world from sin. And we've got to have three things kind of tucked in our belts as we're going about the process of understanding that this morning. First, we have to understand that neighborly love is unconditional. So we've got to understand how neighborly love is unconditional. Second, we have to know that neighborly love is also selfless. We're going to describe and kind of understand more about what that means. But third, finally, we've got to understand that neighborly love is sacrificial. So those are the first three things that we've got to tuck in our belts before we know how neighborly love has the power to save the world from sin. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been marching through this greatest commandment. And in this series, we've learned how to love the Lord with our hearts and our souls and our minds and our strength with all of it. And, and when we ask the question, really, in each one of these sermons, we ask, what does it look like to love the Lord with each one of those things? Here, here's what, uh, if you've missed this, if you haven't seen this thread kind of woven through all of these sermons, I want to make this really plain. As sons and daughters of a heavenly father, as sons and daughters of a heavenly father, we really need to understand that loving the Lord looks like reflecting the father's character back to him. When the Lord loves us with all of his heart affections, we love him back with all of our heart affections. When he loves us with his spirit, we use all of our soul, all of our spirit to love him back. When he uses his mind to uh, create the gospel, the story of the gospel, when he uses his entire mind, all of his knowledge, all of his foreknowledge to redeem a people, what we do in response to that is we love the Lord with our minds. Last week, Tyler talked about how we love the Lord with our, all of our strength, and that is merely just the capacity to use our strength that we've been given by God because he used all of his strength to redeem us. That's what it looks like to love the Lord. But today, we actually see something a little different. Today, we learn that loving the Lord with our whole selves means that we love our neighbor as ourselves. The Lord loves us, so we reflect his love to others. So if the first uh, kind of four or five uh, sermons that we had were to understand how we receive love and then reflect it back to God, today our goal is to see how we receive love and then we reflect it to other people. 
We cannot receive his love without sharing it. So what does this passage tell us about neighborly love? Well, well, one thing it tells us is that there was this lawyer who was really seeking to justify himself, and he asks the uh, question kind of underneath all of this, which is, who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to love? And, and he doesn't do it with a glad heart. We are told that he's actually seeking to justify himself. So he asks who, and what Jesus gives us are three, I think, essential things for us to understand neighborly love. And the first one is, is that neighborly love is unconditional. So we have this lawyer. He comes up to Jesus. He sees that he's giving good answers to things, but he's also wanting to kind of uh, justify himself. He's not wanting Jesus. He's wanting himself. He's wanting more of the things that he loves. So he asks Jesus, um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And if you don't see kind of the entire interchange here as kind of a uh, way of answering that question, how must, uh, what must we do to inherit eternal life, you might miss something. And Jesus responds back to him. He ans- asks, uh, answers a question by ans- asking a question. What do you read in the law? How do you read it? He says, well, I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all of my heart, uh, by all of my soul and mind and strength, and to love my neighbor as uh, myself. And Jesus just answers back to him, you got it. You got it. Do that and you'll live. And he, seeking to justify himself, says, well, you know, it's pretty big. It's a pretty big commandment. Uh, Who is my neighbor? not sure that I really want to love everyone. And so Jesus tells him a parable. He says, uh, there's this man, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. What do we know about this man? He's a Jew in the story. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets robbed and beaten half to death. He's laying there bloody, bruised on the side of the road. Then comes a priest a person who's responsible for ministering to people, and he passes by on the other side. Then likewise, a Levite, a person from the priestly tribe, so if the priests aren't getting it, maybe the people of God are getting it, the priestly tribe, maybe they'll do something, and he too passes along on the other side. Then a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan would have been considered by this lawyer as an apostate, Okay, you, you and I, we can talk about our neighbors and we can talk about a fondness and a love for people that are outside of our faith, that do not know or love God. And typically, especially in a church like this, you're going to hear a lot of loving affection and kindness, maybe even gentle, kind pity for people who do not know the resurrected Savior Jesus. But then when we talk about people that are uh, health, wealth, gospelers, we're a little bit angry. When we talk about people that uh, don't believe that Jesus was uh, literally the Son of God, that makes us a little agitated. When we, talk about, uh, when we talk about people that profess to be Christians but would not say that Jesus died for sins, we, he didn't need to do that. We get a little bit more angry. Why? Because those people aren't part of the church. And they're not uh, our neighbors that we would consider that are outside of the church. They're somewhere in between, and it makes us a little angry. That's what this lawyer is dealing with. He's dealing with the Samaritans. The lawyer would have regarded this person as an apostate. And yet, this is the person that Jesus says goes to this man on the side of the road. And what does he do? 
he has compassion on him. He goes and ministers to the needs, binding up wounds, pouring uh, oil and wine on those wounds, taking him, placing him on his animal, taking him to a safe place, ministering to the fears and all of the things that must have been going on through that person's mind, taking them not just to a place of safety, but a place where they can receive the care and health that they need and then providing financially for that person. And then Jesus says, um, who in this story, who in this story is the neighbor? Said the one who had mercy. Said, you're right, go and do likewise. That's the story. That's where we kind of pick it up. What he's trying to communicate to this lawyer is that love is unconditional. Ultimately, Jesus knew that the lawyer loved the letter of the law, but not God's loving desire behind it. The lawyer was skeptical of others, skeptical of his neighbors. He was stingy with his love. Who is my neighbor? Who, who is it that can ask me for my time and my affections? We find that this lawyer was at least tribal, or at least uh, Jesus thought that he was pretty tribal. Uh, maybe even a little racist. They would have seen this uh, sect of uh, Samaritans as just an entirely other type of people, and they hated them. Oftentimes, they would literally walk around Samaria just to get where they needed to go. They wanted to avoid everything about the Samaritans. So this lawyer is having Jesus literally like poke and prod at the different things that are conditional in his heart. There were conditions for receiving this lawyer's love. You had to be worthy to be his neighbor. You had to be worthy to receive his love. The problem is, is that this kind of thinking creates hardened hearts and it creates stiff, rigid societal contours where there is no overlap between different people groups, different races, different beliefs, different desires. If people have to be worthy of your love, then the prerequisites that we have will not decrease. Do you see this alive in maybe your heart or in other people's hearts? The second that you start building barriers between you and other people, the prerequisites that they need to have in order for you to love them, do those things ever typically diminish or come down or do they get built up? Oftentimes, the things that we develop as prerequisites will actually increase and our capacity for loving them will decrease. And what I'm trying to get us to see this morning is the lawyer's problem, but see that it is not only the lawyer's problem, it is our problem. It is your problem. Why is that? It's because it's really easy to excuse why we don't love people with a neighborly, sacrificial, selfless, unconditional kind of love. I wonder what it is for you. You know, for me, uh, oftentimes it's people that annoy me. I'll just be totally bluntly, frankly honest with you. It's difficult to love a neighbor that is just needy and annoying and obnoxious. We can say it, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, it's okay to say those things, but it's not okay to keep them, right? I wonder what it is for you. I wonder what it is that like um, keeps you from loving people like a neighbor is supposed to love people. It's not a lawyer problem, it's an us problem. What is it that is separating us from our neighbors? 
what Jesus is doing is he is using this parable to break down those fortified walls of justification in our hearts. And what he's trying to get us to see is that who is my neighbor? Everybody is your neighbor. All people are your neighbors. You don't get to have conditions that exclude people. We love our neighbors without condition. Why? Because God has unconditional love for us. This is going to be the gospel thread that we're going to kind of find on our way through here. If in the beginning of this sermon series we talked about how we receive love from God and so we reflect it back out, what we're going to see here today is is that if God's love is unconditional towards me, then I cannot have conditions on who I send my love back out to. We love our neighbors without condition because God loves us without condition. How how do we know that? Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says that God had no conditions for loving us. Those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Who then can separate us from the love of God? The answer is no one. Why? Because nobody has the kind of power of God and nobody has the unconditional love of God. You want to hear the best news about this all morning? How is God's love unconditional? God loves you simply because he loves you. You, you can start building theological frameworks of going, well, well, God doesn't love unconditionally. He requires repentance for his love. And I go, you're way farther down the line than I'm talking about. I'm talking before the beginning of time. He foreknew and predestined some to save them and to conform them into the image of God. Why? Do you know? Simply because he wanted to. God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. You didn't do anything to earn it. You weren't born with the right personality. You didn't give enough to receive it. The closest thing that you can come to say that there are conditions to getting God's love is to look at God's law, his 613 uh, rules in the Old Testament that uh, he tells the lawyer, yeah, go do those things. Go do those things and you'll have eternal life with me because he knows you can't. The lawyer's wanting law. He wants to justify himself by the law and Jesus knows enough to say, Go ahead and try. That's the closest that you can get to conditional love from God. Let us love our neighbors unconditionally, just like God's love is unconditional. Let us rejoice, therefore, in his unconditional and neighborly love towards us. Neighborly love is completely unconditional for others because neighborly love is completely unconcerned with yourself. That's where we're going next. So neighborly love is unconditional, but neighborly love is also selfless. I want to now read uh, verses uh, 34 and 35. It says this, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So neighborly love is selfless. 
I want you to notice the posture of the priest. The priest goes around. The Levite goes around. They are not selfless, but selfish. They go around on the other side. For a moment, the Samaritan must have seen this man, bloodied, broken, nearly dead. And from that exact moment... He saw this Jew that had gone from Jerusalem, beaten, half dead. There was no self in this Samaritan. He has compassion on him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine on his wounds. He set him on his animal. He took him to an inn. He cared for him. The end of all of the Samaritan's actions are others-oriented. He's focused not on self, but on neighbor. Neighborly love then puts a joyful end to that self-focus and that selfishness that plagues us. I I wonder if you feel the strain of that. I wonder if you notice that like all of your thoughts all the time are primarily about yourself and it makes you sad. For, for some, it may not. For me, my self-focus just ruins my day. And here, what we see is a joyful celebration of otherness. We see that we can actually be relieved of our self-focus, that thing that just crushes and oppresses by focusing on other people. Neighborly love puts a joyful end to self-focus and selfishness that plagues our hearts, our souls, our mind, and zaps us of our strength. And what we're commanded here in this story by Jesus is to practice self-forgetfulness. However, I want to acknowledge something at this moment. I don't know if you noticed it, but here we're told to love our neighbor as who? Ourselves. So to say that neighborly love is selfless is interesting to pull out of a command that says love your neighbor as yourself. How are we then to think about that command? Where is Scripture taking us? Well, here's where it is. Scripture is really helpfully honest with us all of the time about our self-focus. It assumes a natural bent towards love of self in our hearts, and here's what it does. It, it teaches us two things. It teaches us unity and denial. In Ephesians chapter 5, when it says, Husbands, love your wives as who? As your own body. Why? Because uh, loving your wife is loving yourself. That's, ugh. There's something in there that you're like, that doesn't sound quite right. To say that loving someone else is just a way of receiving back love. That's, that's not totally it. This teaches us, unity. Loving your wife is loving yourself because you are one. So what is this trying to tell us? What it's trying to tell us is that when God tells us to love him, that makes sense. But when it tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, what we're really supposed to see in there is the unity that all three of those things have. We have unity with God. We have unity with our neighbor. We're supposed to love and with a neighborly love because we're supposed to be unified with them. Don't get caught up on the word love your neighbor as yourself because what it's trying to teach us is unity. But secondly, Scripture uh, is not just saying that it's okay to love and care for yourself. It's also saying that we are to be loving and careful when we deny ourselves. 
Matthew chapter 16 says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So neighborly love is unconditional, but it is also unconcerned with self. And what we're learning in the midst of all of this is that it's very costly. Neighborly love is very costly. That leads us to our third and final point this morning. Neighborly love is sacrificial. Loving your neighbor will require you to make significant sacrifice. Loving your neighbor will require you to make significant sacrifice. Take a look at the Samaritan. The Samaritan sacrificed emotionally. So it wasn't just like a strange, austere kind of love. I know that this person has a need. He sees the man, and then what does he have on him? Compassion. He has compassion. He's actually giving part of his emotional self. Any of us who have learned in the context of a friendship, of a love relationship, uh, being a part of a larger body of believers, being a good co-worker realizes that there are emotional sacrifices that you make for other people. The Samaritan teaches us that we sacrifice emotionally, but the Samaritan also sacrificed his time the, the Samaritan was going somewhere, right? This isn't a complicated point. In order for him to stop, in order for him to take a, at least one day, if not more time, to love on this person that was half dead, he had to sacrifice whatever he was going to do in Jericho. We'll assume that it was pretty important. Nobody travels for something that's unimportant. He was sacrificing his time, but he was also sacrificing his comfort. He had brought along some kind of animal, probably a donkey, maybe a horse, who knows. But he's going along the way, he sees this, and he decides to take that man and put him on his own animal. So what is he now doing? He's walking. That's what he's doing. He's loading up a man, putting him on the animal, and then leading him into a town. And then when he gets there, he's sacrificing not just with his emotions and his time or his comfort. He's sacrificing financially. Ultimately, here's what you need to get. He's sacrificing himself. Neighborly love is sacrificial. Romans chapter 12 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Why? So that you can be good and acceptable and perfect. So that your worship can be good, acceptable, and perfect. We are to be living sacrifices. That means that Christians cannot pass on the other side of the road. We can't see needs and pass on the other side of the road. We can't see people who are hurting and distance ourselves from them. You can't be the priest. You can't be the Levite. They were doing this because of cleanliness laws. They saw this person assume that he was dead. They can't be near death, so they're going around on the other side. They think that they're maintaining their holiness, and what Jesus is saying is they are violating the law. They are unclean. Christians, therefore, must be willing to get down and dirty, to get into the mess of people's lives. You will sacrifice emotionally. People, some people endure just excruciating heartache. And what a Christian does is takes the commandment to mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, to bear underneath burdens together, and they sacrifice for that person. Is it easy? It is not easy. 
my wife and I have just the best lives. I mean, just the best lives. I love her just with such, and she's not here this morning quite yet because uh, we're about to go out of town, so I get to just uh, dote on her a little bit and not make her feel awkward. I love my wife. She's amazing. She is great. I don't deserve her. We've got this uh, uh, great place that we live. We have three healthy children. Uh, life is really just amazing. I was thinking this week, just in meditation and in devotion, I was just thinking I wouldn't change lives with anybody. But you know what we do a lot of? God has given us a lot, and he expects a lot. And so you know what we try to do? We try to be there for people. We try to endure the excruciating things that our friends and our neighbors have to endure. Can we do it with everybody? We can't do it with everybody. Do we try to avoid it? Sometimes my heart tries to avoid it and get out of it. But when God makes the call to endure and to sacrifice and to suffer alongside somebody else, I want to be willing to do what God is calling us to do. To endure when you hear the same stories for over a decade in people's lives, when they make huge mistakes that cost you something, yes, you will sacrifice emotionally, Christian. You'll sacrifice your time, not just your leisure time, but your family time, your work time, your alone time, your meal time. You'll give it up. You'll offer it as a sacrifice to God, good and pleasing, but you'll offer it to somebody else to be a neighbor who loves and loves well. You will sacrifice financially. Not just in terms of like giving a tithe to a church. I I got to have several conversations this week about how people were wanting to like love and support and give to other people who are part of this body and people who are outside of this body. It's amazing, it's beautiful, and it's sacrificial. But it's not just like giving the dollars, it's also like giving the opportunity cost. Like, let's say that the Samaritan was going to Jericho for business. He loses the deal. He loses time with his family because his family was there. Whatever it was, he was sacrificing something. And what Christians have to do is not see that as something to be eschewed, but something that is embraced and something that is joyful, joyfully a part of life with Christ. You will sacrifice your comfort. You will bind up wounds of inglory. You will pick up and carry hard, messy people. You will place them on your animal and you will walk. Christian life is a life of sacrifice. Neighborly love is sacrificial. Ultimately, you will sacrifice your comfort because your neighbor needs, ultimately, not just the ministry of their physical needs, but they need to hear the gospel. That is the ultimate way that you are going to sacrifice because your uh, neighbors don't primarily need your sacrifice in all of the other ways that we uh, talked about. They need a greater love, a more sacrificial Savior. So if, if neighborly love is unconditional and it is selfless and it is sacrificial, that means that we can't understand what neighborly love is unless we look at the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life. Is he talking about us? Yeah, kind of. Is he talking about Jesus? Definitely. 
we must look to Jesus to truly understand the power of neighborly love. You remember the thesis for this morning is that neighborly love saves the world from sin. 1 John uh, 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And every single week we see that God goes first. This week is no different. When I say love your neighbor because the Bible says love your neighbor, we know that we are empowered to do that because the first one who loved his neighbor was Jesus. He's the one who goes first. That's the essence of the gospel. Love of one another is at the heart of the gospel. Not our love of a neighbor, but God's love of neighbor. That's where they are unified. That's where we can deny ourselves. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's what we hear Scripture say. What is the power of neighborly love to save the world from sin? It is the love of God to send his Son for the souls of men. God is love. God is love. So we have confidence. We have no fear. Why? Because we love. Because he first loved us. So what I want to do this morning is just use the next brief moments to go back to Luke chapter 10 and do some discovery. When this lawyer desiring to justify himself asks, who is my neighbor? Who am I to love? Jesus tells him a parable that, though simple, is really easy to misunderstand. If I ask you this morning, who in the parable is the neighbor? Many times, I think because we've heard, honestly, just a lot of wrong teaching, or we focus on the wrong things, or we just see uh, poverty and illness and uh, hurt. We see uh, brokenness and uh, woundedness on the side of the road, and we go, there's the neighbor. What he's trying to do is is show this lawyer that there are people who are in great and dire need. There's the neighbor. Go and serve them. How how many sermons have you heard like that? How many Bible studies have you heard like that? I want to read the end of this so that we can understand it more fully. Verse 36. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed mercy. And then Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Is the neighbor the beaten, the bloody, the lowly in this parable? The answer is no. That's not to take anything away from people who are in need. Yes, go with neighborly love to those who are in need. In this parable, with what Jesus is trying to teach us about the greatest commandment and love of neighbor, we have to say no. Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these do you think proved to be the neighbor to that man? The lawyer said to Jesus, the one who showed him what? What, church? 
Mercy. That's who's the neighbor. The one who is the neighbor is the one who shows mercy. And and here's the, the interesting thing here. He's speaking to a lawyer who knows all of these things already. He answers him correctly, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. The one who showed mercy, you go and do likewise. Here's what's interesting. You know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Even people way outside of the church know the story of the Good Samaritan. Read back through this. You see the word good anywhere? It's interesting to think about. The Samaritan was not good. Like, doing some mental arithmetic there, it's like, what? The Samaritan wasn't doing anything outlandish. He was merely following the basic precepts of the law. That's all that the Samaritan was doing. That's what makes it so genius that Jesus is sitting here talking to this lawyer and going, um, here's this guy. He's a person that you're not going to like very much, but he's doing the law. This lawyer would have seen it. This wasn't a good person. It was just simply merely doing what the law required. The lawyer was not really trying to obtain eternal life. He was testing Jesus and justifying himself. So when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest command? And then he gives him the right answer. Jesus goes, go ahead, do it. Do that and you'll live. If you think that you can be justified by the law, go ahead and do it all the day long. If you're going to test me, I'll let the law test you. Then he asks, who is my neighbor? Jesus gives him a good answer. He actually goes back and gives him the correct answer. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. Here's what I want to tell you this morning, beloved. Do not be the lawyer. Don't be the lawyer. All he wanted was a law. He didn't even want God's law. He wanted his law. And all he received back from Jesus was the law. And he cannot be saved by the law. You cannot be saved by the law. We are not saved by neighborly works. Here's what makes this very difficult. Right now, one of the primary narratives in our culture is that you stand condemned because of your lack of works towards your neighbor. And then when you go, okay, I get it. I've, I've, uh, I've been privileged and I've, I've, I've wronged people and I didn't even know how I was wronging people and I participated in systems and structures that oppressed people. Give me mercy. All that our culture can do right now is give you answers that do not include grace, do not include forgiveness, do not include any alleviation of your sin. If you want law, if you want to be justified by the law, if you want to be saved, if you want eternal life by the law, Christian, you need to hear, you cannot obtain it there. We can't obtain it through the law. Not in our fallen state. Jesus is the only perfect, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial, neighborly lover. Don't be the lawyer. Don't try to earn your salvation. Not with compassion, not with uh, acts of service, not with words of kindness. Don't 
earn your salvation. Rely on Jesus. He is the one with compassion. He is the one who comes to us in our death on this road and binds up our wounds and pours oil and wine in them to disinfect and to clean and to heal. He is the one that takes our lifeless spiritual bodies and puts it on himself and carries it and then takes the death for us in sacrifices. He's the one with compassion. He's the one who binds. He's the one who cleans. He's the one who disinfects. He's the one who carries to safety. He's the one who pays the price that we might live. Jesus is the one who proves to be the neighbor. My my daughter, my daughter this morning, we were all sitting around the breakfast table, and from time to time, I don't ever force it, but like from time to time, they'll ask, hey, what are you preaching on this morning? And I just said, the greatest commandment. And Henry goes, will you read that to us? I was like, no. Yeah, of course I will. Yeah, absolutely. I'm definitely going to read this. So I'm going through it, and I'm trying to, like, just plant little seeds and everything. And my daughter, she's so amazing. She just has, she has the litmus test for the gospel. And I just asked them at the end of it, I was like, uh, who is the neighbor in this story? And Henry uh, looks up, and he's, you know, spaced out. He's not listening anymore. And uh, Jackson's got his real hard-thinking theological cap on, because that's the kind of son that I'm raising. Uh, and uh, my daughter just goes, Jesus is. And it wasn't, it wasn't that, like, Jesus is the answer to everything. She saw the planted seeds. Jesus is the neighbor. He's the one with neighborly love. He's the one that gave his life that you on the side of the road of your sin can be brought to safety, redeemed, restored, back to spiritual health. He's the perfect, loving neighbor. So how can we truly love our neighbors? How can we apply this in some way this morning? Jesus' neighborly love has the power to save the world from sin, and the first thing we must do is tell other people about it. If you take away from this uh, story of this Samaritan man, okay, I've got to go get to work. I've got to go serve my neighbors. I've got to alleviate poverty. I've got to work for uh, racial reconciliation. I've got to work, 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 work. Man, you're missing the first thing. The first thing you need to do is not show people your neighborly love. It's tell other people about the neighborly love of Jesus. That's the first thing that we need to do as a church. The second thing that we must do is we must learn and live out Jesus' unconditional and selfless and sacrificial love ourselves. And here's, here's the deal. I can't tell you exactly how that looks. Why? Because I'm not on the same road as you. God is going to put you on the road in your office, in the hospital. He's the one that's putting you in your home with your kids. He's the one that has put you in your marriage to show neighborly love. He's the one that uh, has you having the conversations with uh, whatever barista, whatever car salesman, whatever person in the workplace is going through something really difficult. I can't necessarily tell you precisely how to do that, but what I can do is encourage you Lastly, with the words of Romans chapter 12, we've been in this passage a little bit already uh, upstream from this, but I want to just read this over you this morning and then pray to end our time. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another showing honor. 
Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God and Father, you have shown us a great, unconditional, selfless, sacrificial love by sending us Jesus, who has a perfect neighborly love. Let us tell other people about him. Let us live like him. Let us not be the lawyer. Let us not see ourselves as uh, do-gooder, good Samaritan types. Let us be bound together, unified with Jesus. Let us deny ourselves, pick up our crosses daily, and let us do what the end of Romans chapter 12 does today and forevermore until the return of our King Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. And we pray in your great kindness, Lord, that you would allow for us to love deeply, the neighbors that we live alongside, and for it to be a fragrance like Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.